Blog Talk Radio. You're such a bit something whole, cause what you see, realize, you're watching this world unfold, the truth they need to lie, rekindling what's been sold, the need to free one's mind, uncover the truth exposed, so people see the light, let's shut it down, so we know it's simple we just break it down to little bits so we can process all make the switch to elevation self the conscious mode and it's beneficial we can get this concept broke and get the future generations who want to stop the whole thing with the message demonstrating we can start opposing taking in assimilating getting lots of knowledge breaking up the population trying to stop hypnosis Trinidad radio is coming to you live from the hawaiian islands coming from the perspective of complete freedom coming from wisdom outside the system and then some this is the mouthpiece of the natural earth forgotten at this point in time, humanity's been kept in the truth, so Chinatown Radio offers the coordinates to a path out. You're searching for something whole, cause what you see real life. You're watching this world unfold, the truth in needs a life. Rekindling what's been stole, the need to free one's mind. Uncover the truth exposed, so people see the light. Let's shut it down, so but we just break it down a little bit so we can process all Make the switch to elevate yourself to conscious mode And it's beneficial we can get this kind of road And get the future generators want to start the whole thing With the message demonstrated we can start a post Taking in the simulator and getting lots of numbers Waking up the population trying to stop hypnosis Welcome to Channel Down Radio uh, Where we deprogram from the deep program Welcome to episode 78 of Channel Down Radio I'm your host Loomis and hopefully I'm coming through clear. Um, I've had a lot of internet trouble right now. I think maybe it's, who knows, the wind. Um, having a lot of wind here in Hawaii. But uh, if you can hear me well, thank, thank you uh, for listening. And hopefully coming through good on the other end sounded really warped. That happens a lot, I noticed, when I get on the uh, Blog Talk network. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll, if it doesn't turn out this time, I'll have to just do it again. But yeah, welcome to uh, China Down Radio. And uh, this is going to be part four of the Beyond Earth series. So if you have not listened to the show before or listened to even this series of shows within the show, then you should go back to part one, which is episode 74. Now here um, on part four of a discussion that doesn't need too much prerequisite, but if you want to you know, go back and get the information that led up to here, it's always more helpful. And if you're a first-time listener to the show, um, welcome to listen and in and, and enjoy. Uh, however, I always recommend listening to the archives anyway because this show has had a, a lot of different topics on it. And just hearing this particular topic, this is, this is an abstraction of the normal topics that I cover on this show, but it's also connected to a larger picture. So this is an ongoing discussion about the look into uh, extraterrestrial and UFO phenomenon, as well as the unexplainable and just beyond. This is a this is a different strand of information that I'm going on, a little rant and tangent that I'm going on, in compared to the normal stuff that I talk about. But this is still Channel Down Radio, where we do have lots of different uh, topics and varieties. So you know, it's always uh, it's always a, a, a mixture. And you know, this this particular subject matter I'll be dealing with on the Beyond Earth series 
there, there is a mountain of evidence too big to ignore out there. And so today we're going to take a look at all the megalithic sites around the world. Uh, we will get into uh, today the different areas of the world that have just about in, uh, just about impossible for humans to have have constructed just just stuff that is mind-boggling and, and mind-blowing. So we'll get into that and uh, talk about that. And um, you know, maybe before I get into the subject here, we'll get into. Uh, I'll do a little rant here. I wanted to talk about a couple things and retouch on on some of the central themes of the show. But before that, I do want to promote um, the Free Your Mind Conference. I think it's an important uh, event going on. If you're on the East Coast of the United States, then you want to uh, check it out if you can. And that's April 15th, uh, 16th, and 17th, right outside Philadelphia. And uh, the, the speakers there are a diverse group of speakers that, you know, uh, will have mind-blowing information. Um, years and years of research and and people that I have learned a lot from myself and I, I definitely back this event. I mean, you know, there's not too many of us out there that chant it down. Free your mind for they chant it down. So if you wanna um you know hear more like minds and people that you know put it down there, put the information down better than I do, then go to the Free Your Mind conference. You know, I cannot um out here in the Hawaiian Islands and you know that's uh well you know, long ways from Philadelphia, and I don't have the money to travel like that. But, uh, yeah, someday I would like to make it there myself and check it out. Um, so, but, yeah, the Free Your Mind Conference has got a, a host of different speakers that I've had, um, you know, about four of the speakers that are at the Free Your Mind Conference on this show as guests. So uh, if you've liked some of the guests I've had, then I think you'd really appreciate uh, the Free Your Mind Conference, if you can make it over there, and uh, it's worth checking out. So that's just going to be uh, not this weekend, but the following, and that's a that's probably the best thing going on this year that I know of. Of people, a group of people together that uh, have some insight on what the world, what's going on in the world. Uh, I, I will give out the call-in number. The call-in number, if you want to join Channel Down Radio, is um, is uh, Three four seven three two four three three four two. If you like, I see. I do have a caller on, and I'll uh, take the call first before I get into some of the information. This is the three one zero area code. You're on Channel Down Radio. Hello. Three ten area code. You're on Channel Down Radio. Are you there? Going once. Going twice. Okay. Well, I I don't know. Can't hear you on the other side. But if you want to call back in, uh, hey, you know, I'll try to get you back up. So, all right. So, yeah, you'd like to say I, I always like to take callers, but um, in this particular episode here, I'm going over a, a pretty big chunk of information. Um, so I'm going to try to get through it, and I'm doing this after work, so. This is, uh, you know, kind of a cram day for me. So I'm going to try to cram this too, but not cram it in a stressful way or in a way that affects the information. But, um, yeah, also, if you ever want to uh, support the show, um, I do sell my CD uh, that I am a musician, have been for years. Um, 
right, just go to uh, uh, PayPal, and you can um, go to peoplebeyondthis at gmail.com, purchase my album, Waking the Systemites. Um, I sell it for $11, and that is just to help support the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way you can support is buy an album. And so peoplebeyondthis at gmail.com. Go to PayPal, and, and yeah, I appreciate those of you who have bought albums. It really helps. Uh, you know, this is a less-than-even-shoestring-budget show. This is just grassroots, and it's, uh, well, it's just me doing it and doing it just because I know that the information is important. So I, I just sort of wanted to kind of retouch on one of the central themes of this show. I, I want... I want people to really embrace the thought on how day-to-day life is not living. I want to, I want people to understand that because this is this hits home because this is what all of us do, every one of us does. This reality, daily grind. The daily grind is not real life. I mean, I want people to really take it to heart and understand deeply that your job and all your routine and what so many people work so hard to preserve is really your demise. This world that we try to preserve and we, we deem so important is really the destruction of, of our souls, our, our minds, our, our bodies, um, the planet, and the list goes on and on. And it, but it really needs to be realized, I think, to a deep level, understood at heart, that we are um, putting the, on a pedestal the daily grind as real life is, is just the biggest illusion. And, and so um, this world that we worry about every day is holding everyone back. It's holding all of us back, uh, your job, your school, your money. That's not life. That's not your life. That's not life. And if that's all you've ever experienced in this life, it's time to take a journey, my friend, and get out. I mean, it's stolen life. It's what it is. It's stolen life that people tricked you into worrying about, even your parents and loved ones, just because it's all they know and it's all they've been shown to do. They are, they're tricked, too. And, and they, that's, they think, well, they're doing the right thing. But, you know, you really have to take it into perspective. When you're about to die, what do you think about? Do you think about the daily grind? That's going to mean absolutely nothing to you. You know what you think about? It's memories. And that's what you have is memories. At the end of the day, you have memories. It's not about, you know, um, how much money is in your checking account or how much you need to come up with for this and that. When you're on that level, that's the real level of real life, though. You know, we, we, we dip into this illusion every single day crazy. And so, I mean, when, when you're born and until you have to go to daycare or school, you're, you're actually truly free and your thoughts are way different as a kid before you have to go into the system and you're separated from your parents. Of course, not all of us even have that choice. Um, I myself went right into babysitters to preschool to kindergarten and on up down the school system, so I never really had that myself. Um, but your your thoughts are way different as a kid because you just haven't been indoctrinated and ruined by the system. And so um, these are the things that really matter, the thoughts beyond the system. 
you know, it's always good to have one foot out and never let it completely consume you. You need to always remember to live halfway outside the system. Your job sucks. I mean, that's true. I mean, even if you like your job, it still sucks. Literally, too. It sucks away who you are and leaves you with not much left. I mean, here, I'm after work, and I'm, I'm actually pretty tired, but I'm somehow uh, putting this together. We'll see how I, I start sounding at the end of this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the focus is the focus on survival. It's like last episode, episode 77, I called the art, the lost art of chanting down. Um, what, what it was is this focus on survival, this level, this level that everybody's on, you know, and, and, you know, like I was saying, even if you like your job, it still requires you to focus on survival in a serious way where it wraps you up in it. And there you are on that level, that level that doesn't break beyond and be real human, you know. And so remember to leave it all behind at least once a day and not let it take you away from a greater, more miraculous, more amazing um vibrant world that does and can exist if you let it and if you don't know any better then it's it's time to experience tastes of life without the system seriously i mean like i was saying on the last episode who are you in nature you know that's that's a question that i i asked and and um i mean how free are you there you know you know like um what what can you do there anything everything i mean if you want to go Go grab a fruit off a tree. There you go. You know, uh, you want to go this direction, that direction, doesn't matter what direction, you go. You're that free. That's who you are, you know, and that's real life and freedom is who you are in nature. And know that. Know that to heart. So you can go and, and, and do whatever you want as long as you know that there's a law of cause and effect. So if you, if you harm somebody, well, you'll be, you'll be met with the other side of the effect, right? And so I think that there is, you know, of course, there is natural law. There's all that. So there are nature's laws, but you are free to be, to just be and do whatever you want out there and just be like, you know, that's you. So that's how free we need to be. I mean, sure, in nature, you can, you can, things can happen. You can fall off a cliff. You could get attacked or eaten by a wild animal. You could drown in the the water, but you can also usually avoid those things, you know, as much as possible. And you have to have judgment, but you're completely free. And on this show, we go into that type of freedom, real life. When I say coming from the perspective of complete freedom, that's what I say in the, the intro, that's what I mean by complete freedom, you know. Um, so, so many people are, are, are daily working to preserve their job, this infrastructure, the way that things are structured, government, and, and on and on, um, you know, everything that they're trying to work all day to preserve, but it all serves as our demise and takes away from our true freedom and the way that we should be. So, I mean, I know it's very simple. I've, I've gone over this on many episodes, really, but it doesn't... It, it needs to sink in to every single human being out there that the daily grind is not real life. The daily grind is not real life. So, you know, preserving slavery and making sure it goes into tomorrow, and I, I, I think that's what it is. And I know these concepts are so extreme, but it's so simple, too, at the same time. I mean, if you think it is extreme, then that tells me, too, how caught up, caught up you must be in it because 
and and myself when I get caught up in it. You know, if I start thinking that these thoughts that I'm that I'm verbalizing here are extreme, then I realize that I must be caught up because really this is extremely insane. This world we live in, you know. So you must let go of the grind once a day, and that that doesn't mean just like sitting in front of a tell live vision trying to escape. I mean, take that away too. You need to somehow get away from all the things, well, the system's tentacles there, you know, as I did that series of shows. And if you haven't, you know, um, yeah, listen to that series of shows, uh, go into the archives. And so that's just something I kind of want to go over because I've just been been feeling that all week. just want to get that out. Uh, That's just, that's just like me venting, but it feels good because it, it's really important to just know that simple concept right there that we, the daily grind is not you. The daily grind is not real life. See? So just want to, you know, go over that and that can't be said enough because too many people are stuck on that level every single effing day. All right. So uh, what I want to go over here. Oh, so, okay, this is the first time on Shannon Radio that I have been able to, um, this is the first time that I've been actually able to uh, go and put a slideshow into this. So today's, today's show comes with images, and I didn't know you could do this. And I was so happy when I figured out that you actually could do this. So if you want to um, follow along with the imagery, whether you're listening live or you're listening on the archives, then, then um, I want you to uh, check it out. Uh, the imagery is uh, about, uh, I don't know how many images, but quite a few. So I'm going to, you know, you can go clicking the button on the side there. I'm going to start from image one, which is just, you know, make sure it's on image one by you know, uh, you'll see the Easter Island statues all in one big line. I didn't get to number these, and, you know, I'll get better at this when I figure out how to work it better. But I was really excited to know that this can be done because this, this show I'm doing today is something that really needs imagery. So if you're, um, if you're uh, you know, listening on the archives later on or, you know, not listening live right now, then go to Blog Talk Radio page, Loomis, um, well, it's, uh, yeah, blogtalkradio.com slash Loomis, or just Google Chen It Down Radio, and your first thing is, is the Blog Talk page for this show, and you'll be able to follow along with the, the imagery and flip it as I go. All right, so um, some of the information I've brought up so far on this series of shows is um, someone could say, well, I, I, I've heard that on, on uh, ancient aliens. And, you know, hopefully it's been more than that. But, you know, um, I've tried to make it unique. So I, I think that it's hopefully been more than that. But like today's topic, it's easy to see that connection and all, right? But um, ancient aliens was actually a decent show. I, I really only saw the pilot to it, the original or documentary. Um, I only saw one episode, but it was about all, some of it was about all these ancient sites. Um, 
But I felt that maybe the problem with it was that it was bringing up the, the claims that basically everything was constructed by E.T. And I'm not one to go with that perspective. Um, I, I, I see sometimes that they, they stretch material to fit certain ideas that they want to be the case, but sometimes they're not. And not all this information connects into all, all an all-encompassing picture all the time, and some of it does. But for the flaw I saw in that show, they kind of wanted to stretch the material and, you know, make it all extraterrestrial, and that's not how it really is. Um, will you hold on? Just excuse me here for a minute. One moment. Sorry, guys. Sorry about the dead air, you guys. Um... Oh, good. All right. I, I thought I thought somebody was at my door. It's at somebody else's door, and that's just this is hard when you're doing a radio. But that's live radio. You get all the the um do all the things going on right here, right now, and uh, that's just how it goes. All right. So um yeah. Oh, so this series is not like. You know, I, I, what I do with this series is I like to approach it with an open mind, but not just saying that everything is extraterrestrials, you know, just going with that sort of imbalanced approach to it, I feel. And the other side of the coin is that the mainstream science version, that nothing ever happens strange on planet Earth, and it's always been humans. And that's, that's, um, that's just even worse because, you know, it's just a very closed-minded way and then there's just the the in general the closed-minded general public that is as soon as you bring up anything like et up they start to snicker and laugh and think you know it's kooky or just you know that's ridiculous but we're going over the earth's evidence of supernatural presence intervention and life from beyond and these are things on this planet that we cannot ignore whether aliens helped or built these things, or something intervened with human life to give people advanced technologies. And a, and a lot of these things I'm about to go over, we couldn't replicate today with our own technology. Note that what I'm doing today on this show is just skimming over these sites. I mean, giant books are written on these places, and I could just dedicate a show to each site or even a miniseries to each site. That's how much information is here. And that's not my mission, is to, you know, give you a book. But these shows that I do are usually somewhat like a mini-seminar. So I always say, too, take the show in strides, get tired of listening, turn it off, turn it back on later, because this one will be a fairly long episode. Um, so, um, but yeah, so the, the, the um, I mean, this information has volumes of stuff to cover. So I'm just skimming the surface as I've been doing with this whole People Beyond Ser or Beyond Earth series. So let's talk about, before we get into this, weight. Just It's important to understand the weight of some things so you can kind of get the uh, general idea of what it, how big some of these things are. So, you know, the big yellow cranes. I call them tower cranes. I think they, maybe that is what they're called, but uh, the big yellow cranes you see building on high rises. The the maximum amount of weight that they can lift is 18 short tons. 
okay? So short tons would be, you know, not in the metric system, but yeah. Um, now, the most the the uh, most uh, powerful crane in the world is a gantry crane, and they can lift 20,000 metric tons. And I, I believe that's the most powerful crane in the world. Those are the ones you see in boat harbors um, lifting up, lifting up um, containers full full of things, you know, and yeah, those things are, are huge cranes, but yeah, those can lift 20,000 20, metric tons, all right? Now, the Old World Trade Center here's, had 200,000 tons of steel, so that's how much the World Trade Center weighed. And of course, a building is hollow in the middle. It doesn't, it's not, you know, solid mass, but it's, yeah, really heavy. A bulldozer can weigh between, depends on what type, from the smallest, eight to 104 short tons. Um, so those are just some things to think about, and I'll kind of bring those up again as we go along these sites. Because I live in Hawaii, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go around the world from here to from here to east to west and go over a few of the more extraordinary sites around the world. And today, uh, we I'm going to be covering the western hemisphere of the world. So, I mean, that's all I got time for. And so, um, east being the west coast of the United States from Hawaii, I'm going that direction. So, um, where we begin here is Easter Island, or better known as Rapa Nui. And so, this is an incredible place. So, here you go on the imagery now. This is be the first image on the page and you'll see a bunch of the statues in order. What the statues are called are Moai statues. And the reason why this island's called Easter Island is because a Dutch explorer found it on Easter. So that's, uh, what, uh, that's why the reason it's called that. Many of the Moai were raised onto platforms called Ahu, and that's what you see in the beginning image, that platform on. So they had to be raised onto a platform which they're already huge, as I'll get into. Uh, some were, were given separate hats. So if you move on to the next image, you'll see these reddish hats. Um, not all of them have them, but these hats were, are, are called pakao. And these hats are raised on top of huge statues on top of ahu. And, and uh, how did they do all this? And why? These are, there are 887 statues on Easter Island. That's a lot of statues. The tallest of the statues is called Paro, and it stands at almost 10 meters, 33 feet, and it weighs in at 74 metric tons, or 82 tons. All of them are immensely hard to move, and they move them as far as 12 miles, okay? So, 74 metric tons. Well, again, that is, each one weighs about as much as uh, the largest bulldozer in existence. And add to that, there was no metallurgy on Easter Island. There were no metal tools. So, these were stone tools. Just the, 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 sheer volume, the huge 
statues here. Um, you know, they, these island, this island was said to be colonized by the Polynesians. Well, no doubt they inhabited there. I'm under the, the thought that an older culture lived there, and that's where these statues came from. Um, all of these world sites, you have evidence of a later culture inheriting these places. And, and that'll kind of be a continual theme you'll hear tonight. Um, and, and there's these secondary cultures built onto them with a less impressive attempt to copy the originals. So when you take a look at these statues also, um, and here you can flip to the next image and you'll see how huge these are. Now, some of them are actually buried up to the head or the neck, some of these statues. You, if you look at other images that I didn't post, but you'll see, you know, a lot of just heads sticking out of the ground and things like that. Well, here's one unburied, and you see how huge they are. And they have markings all the way down these statues. So they were buried by erosion over, you know, a very long time, um, you know, sliding debris from this this uh, inactive volcano there. So, um, but when you take a look at these statues, uh, you'll you'll have to uh, probably go back in imagery. But you know, I, I live in Hawaii, and Hawaii is part of the Polynesian Triangle. Where, where you know we're the top, Easter Island's the right corner, New Zealand's the left corner. Um, you look at these 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 statues and compare with a Polynesian person. They don't resemble Polynesian people exactly. Uh, the the noses on the statues are different, and they're more longer and slender than Polynesians. And the ears on these statues are are long and hanging like a puppy dog's ears. You know, they go way down. Um, and there is a legend on the island of the long-eared enslaving culture and the short-ear people, and there is a legend that eventually the short-eared people killed the long-eared people, which could have been the Polynesians who killed the long-eared people. You know, you do have to wonder, you know, why would this be made up and why why the long ear? You, you know, sometimes people dismiss these, these, tri these tribal legends and everything as just folklore, but, uh, you know, why, why, why put all the, the effort into making them look this way? But the ears, to me, look sort of like a ceremonial earring decoration. More, more on, on, on some of the ears than others, you'll kind of see it could be more like something hanging off the ear. But who knows, you know? Now, moving on to the next slide is you'll see some... Actually, I got the slides mixed. So if you go one more slide over past the Birdman statue, you'll see some writing on here. Now, this is called Rongo Rongo, and it's the hieroglyphic script of Easter Island. It has remained a mystery since its discovery for over a hundred years, and controversy has raged over the meaning and the source of these enigmatic characters. Now, there are only 21 known tablets in existence, and they're scattered in museums and private collections around the world. One thing to note, though, and I know a lot about Polynesian culture, just living in Hawaii, the history here, uh, there is no other Polynesian culture that had a written language. Samoans did not, Tongans did not, Maoris did not, all the, the Tahitians did not, and a lot of those smaller island groups did not. No written language. It was an oral culture. 
and I find it strange. I feel that they were trying to tell an important story with this, these hieroglyphic scripts, this Rongo Rongo. And if you look at the imagery, you can see fish in them. Uh, you can see um, different characters that are, some of them look maybe these long-eared cult creatures, but it's, it's pretty difficult to tell. But yeah, um, so that's just something to think there, that something big happened there, and they're trying to tell an important story. And there are also many uh, zoomorphic figures, birds, especially fish, lizards, and things like that. And the, mo the most frequent figure looks very much like um, the forgate bird, which happens to be, have been the, the, um, the object of a cult later on that was associated with Make Make, the supreme god. The Birdman cult. So if you go back one um, slide, you'll see a carving on a rock, and that is the Birdman. And if you look, and you see there's a little island out there. The the what 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 it was is the uh, Polynesians had a game where you would uh, jump off that and get a bird from the Great Forget or get an egg from the Great Forget bird on those rocks swim back and even when the Europeans arrived they were still performing the ritual of the Birdman to me the Birdman seems like a separate culture than those that built the Moai and I believe that's the case so these statues they were quarried then somehow moved from the creation site amongst the mountain and moved all the way possibly almost to the sea some of these so how, I mean how did this happen i mean why all the effort you know the indigenous say the rapa nui people believe that the statues were moved and erected by mana which is an, a word here in hawaii too meaning magical force great kings of a long gone era simply used their mana to command the moai to move the distant statues and stand there uh, now that's something to think about too this long gone era again this earlier culture i believe that that is something that has to do with this. So that's what the indigenous say. Now, what do the mainstream archaeologists say? They say that through the use of logs and ropes, they pulled them and rolled the statues into place using the, the logs to roll them. Well, okay. Then their theory is because there's no trees left hardly on Easter Island, they cut them all down to roll these statues on. Now, it, but you have to remember... Now, first of all, rope. Yeah, rope is strong. You can make some pretty strong rope. But to carry statues that weigh as much as, as uh, 82 tons or 74 metric tons, come on, really? Really? You know, uh, just the, always it's, it seems like the most absurd thing when these archaeologists have try to explain these things because they just can't accept there could possibly be an alternative explanation to what happened here. Now, ancient aliens, what they say, they say, how could humans do this? That's a good way to, you know, how could they? Yeah, I agree with that. I say there was advanced knowledge here. Something of an unknown outside power created these, no doubt. I mean, they were erected for a purpose that is unknown, and this must have been the most important thing for these people to have and a reason to go through all of this trouble. I mean, 
these huge statues, to move them like that. And some of the most puzzling are those that are looking out at the sea. You know, what are they waiting for? They're standing there. You know, it's it's some it's some people think was well, to scare off visitors. Maybe, but I think there's a little more to it than that. And it seems they're awaiting the return of possibly something from the horizon or maybe even the sky. So Easter Island, mysterious place, and yet people try to try to rationalize moving and making and with stone tools these huge, huge statues and moving them for and, and there's no reason that, that and we don't know why. We don't know why, but certainly it's beyond I would say regular human control. Humans can do a lot, but yeah. All right, so moving on here in the slides, you're going to see, you're going to have to go one more slide. That This one's out of order here with the holes drilled in it, but that will come in a little bit. We'll move east in the world, and we come to Peru, and um, the Nazca Lines. Now, this is a pretty amazing place. This is... The Nazca lines are drawings on the earth floor uh, in a desolate place, one of the driest places on earth, these lines in, in the, the earth, these scars carved into the, to, the, to the desert, carved animals, insects, beings, geometric shapes, strange lines. And I feel... If any evidence of ancient visitors from the stars, this is certainly the big one. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious here. So what what this area is like is I, I have not gone to the Nazca Lines. I've been to Peru, but I have not gone to the Nazca Lines. 200 square miles of uninterrupted tableland with giant scoring into the surface that if you were – down there, you wouldn't be able to make out what they were at all. Yeah, you have to be in the sky, and nowhere to get a vantage point of these things other than from aircraft. That's it. Which raises the big question: How would the artists know how their works looked unless they had a vantage point to check their work from? I mean, you know, come on. I mean, nobody is that great of a artist that get to write always the first drawing. You know, you need to know, oh, oh, maybe I need to straighten that up a little bit. I don't know. How would you know what it looks like? You, you try doing that and then, then get in an aircraft. I mean, well, you know, most people don't own aircrafts, but, or maybe just simple, if you can get on a mountain, you try to draw something without knowing where things are, what it looks like from a vantage point, you know? Uh, Dr. Phyllis... Pete Luga, that is an astronomer, says that the famous spider figure, which is uh, here you have the monkey in one image, next image is the spider, um, that the, the spider figure is, is, uh, was devised as a terrestrial diagram of the constellation of Orion. The spider itself accurately depicts a rare type only found in the inaccessible parts of the Amazon. Now, so yeah, I mean, how could people, would people in the Nazca Plain come all the way from there across the Andes, which are huge mountains, and then come, and then, then some too, you know, it's not just right across the Andes from the Amazon at all, it's way down south, and then go get there to carve this, you know? So this is a particular... 
um, type of spider. The spider is an accurate depiction of the resinule with its reproductive organ on the end of its extended leg. If you look at the the back right leg, if you're looking at it from the side, with your head sideways, you will see what I'm talking about there. So, you know, and then, I mean, if that's not out of place, what what about there's a whale and a monkey? I mean, those are way out of place in a desert, a dog and a parrot, all out of place. And add in the spider, what a weird assortment of animals. And why? Why, you know? And the monkey with this labyrinth tail, you know, strange too. And these figures are all around 400 feet long, 300 feet wide minimum. I mean, huge, huge drawings. These, these are things that, you know, if you mess up on one detail, you could totally get it wrong. And it's just, uh, it's just insane to think that someone would be doing this from the ground, not knowing without, you know, um, without, like, the help of somebody in the sky. Like, hey, hey, move to the left a little bit. Oh, no, no, to the right, to the right. Okay, okay, you got it, got it. Good, good, good. Right on, dude. Yeah. Nothing works. So, <laughs> I think the most thing, the strange thing in, in the is the man figure. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see this this being. Um, but it's definitely not a really a human. I mean, if they could draw the animals so well, why not make the human more human? You know, this if you really look at it, these strange eyes. You got the oval head and these like boots, and it's waving. It's really waving. And and um, yeah, I mean. Because it's it's not a human. I mean, look at the shape of its head. It's, it's big, bulging eyes. It's as if it's greeting a visitor. And the only visitor it would be greeting is from up high. And there's no vantage point, again, on this flat table land. So, you know, tell me how what that's supposed to be like, you know. And you know what that reminds me of? If you go to the next slide, you'll see what is called... Um, the pioneer plaque we sent into space, which is, um, you know, to show outer life, you know, uh, where we came from and shows our solar system. And it shows the man and the woman. The man has his hand up waving. Well, go back to the other one and look at that. I mean, that is a greeting. You know, hey, we're here. So pretty obvious. I mean, this one, I agree, is completely extraterrestrial. I mean, you cannot get any more blatant about Earth visitors. I mean, can you not? I mean, who else would see these things but someone in flight? Uh, are you going to, you know, are people going to tell me that, uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, the Peruvians were flying back then. They had their own, you know, flight. I mean, come on. Really? So, um, I think... Uh, then there is, if you go to the next slide, what people say are the Nazca lines themselves. They they usually mean when they say the Nazca lines, these these random straight lines that stretch a long way, and also these geometric shapes and patterns. But these 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 lines. Now um, there is this is where people get the idea of an ancient runway for extraterrestrials and if you think about it that doesn't make any sense i mean really think about it uh, you know i advanced beings that would would fly through space and being able to get here from you know even the closest solar system need needs a runway for these spaceships 
I, I it doesn't I don't buy that one at all. You know, maybe there are guidelines to show where where things are at, but you know, it's beyond me. But look at these things. I mean, this is beyond explanation. You know, you could only have been done by something from above. And it's similar in a way maybe to crop circles, which we'll save for another uh episode. But what a main what a mainstream archaeologists say about this. They say that they were carved there so that uh, the Nazca people's gods could see them. And they really don't even have any reason why that, that they're, even they're baffled on this one, the archaeologists. They don't have any good reasons that sound good, you know. Well, what do the indigenous say? They They say... These were not the works of men, but the demigods, the Veracocious. And I mentioned them before on another episode, episode 76. The Veracocious were red-haired, red-bearded people that had capes, and they were known for creating these things. So that's what they said, and that's pretty interesting. Ancient aliens say... Who else would they be made for? And sure, I mean, I have to agree with that. I say I agree with that, because this is the biggest evidence to me that indigenous people were waiting for something to return from the heavens. And, I mean, uh, you know, you have to really look at it. I mean, what else would it be for? What else would it be for? So the Nazca lines are just kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. So let's move on up a little north in, in still Peru. You're going to come to Soxe Huamar. And d- just north, a ways is the, from the Nazca lines is Cuzco. And this is where the most important place to the Incas. Uh, legend has it that when four Inca brothers and four Inca sisters who were demigods, again, demigods, you know, half, half human, half, half God, quote-unquote God, when they entered Cuzco, their golden staff, which was a magical staff, and also gold was very valuable to these demigods, which is another dovetail with the the Anunnaki story. They needed gold as well. Um, But yeah, so these demigods, the golden staff sunk into the ground in Cuzco, and that's why Cuzco became the capital of the Incan Empire. So the Inca Empire ran up as far as southern Colombia and all through Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and quite a bit of Argentina. So it was a huge empire and mass amounts of area, um, and Cusco was the capital. Gold was very valuable to them, and their temple in Cusco was made of gold. Now, if you go to the next slide, you're going to see, you have to look carefully at this one, but this is the temple that was made of gold, however... When the Spanish took over, they took the gold and made their churches out of it all. If you go inside, the churches in Cusco, they're covered in gold. Um, And um, the church that you're looking at here is the Santo Domingo, which was built right on top of the ruins. And supposedly the base was created by the Viracocha. So if you look carefully, you will, if you can zoom in, you can see the lower part is all... um, this is this is all uh, the Inca ruins, and this is supposedly built by the Viracocha. This is my photo, by the way. I've been so I I went here um, and I took some photos. 
so the Inca culture, gold was valuable. That's one thing. That's a, and they paid taxes. So here, these are these are civilizers. These are um, people that brought in a system, a very advanced culture. Again, just like the uh, again the dovetailing with the Anunnaki story, and Inti. Inti was the name of the sun god. Sounds a lot like Enki. So just some similarities there. And around Cusco, I mean, there there is a sacred valley not far away that is littered with sites. One one place in the sacred valley called More, it has crazy concentric circles. If you take a look, the so next slide. Um, let's see if my here we go. The next slide, yeah. So that's More. I mean. Look at that thing. That's insane. No, I didn't get to see that. That's not my photo. But uh, I wish I had more time there. But scientists claim they use only for growing tomatoes. I mean, absurd. All that work. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's do some experimentation with growing tomatoes in concentric circles. Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea. I think we should do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I believe that. Yeah, the Incas maybe again inherited this same place just like the the Easter Island people of Rapa Nui they inherited and used these sites for what they wanted to do so sure they could have grown tomatoes in there I'm not saying they didn't but to build this for tomatoes I highly doubt that look at it from the air I mean this is just like it's in, insane looking perfect circles um, but yeah what one of the most amazing is places is Sacsayhuaman, and that's just right above Cusco. It, 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 this, it's a citadel and huge stones. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see massive stones, huge stones that are cut and fit into place. Some estimated at 400 metric tons. That's more than four D1 bulldozers. And it's like they were jigsaw puzzled into each other. And they were brought from a few miles away. They were quarried and brought all the way up here. Now, if you look at the bottom rock of this, the bottom stone of this, this giant corner, you will see how huge that is. Um, now, 400 metric tons. 400 metric tons. You know, that is giant that is huge yeah and we're supposed to believe what the archaeologists say and and how how they are be so perfectly fit together i mean how could people lift uh these huge boulders and lower them into the place so perfectly i mean it's just like it's it's uh mind-blowing and there's there's huge doorways so if you go to the next slide well okay the next one after that, you can take a look at all these two. They're amazing. Now, I went here. So, anyway, these are my photos. Um, the huge doorways that are made for giants. I mean, look at look at the overhang above the doorways. Perfect right angles. And that was, you know, set above the doorway there. And, um, uh, and, and it's like a true rectangle. I mean, rock shaping definitely went on here. Now, what's crazy is um, when I was there, when the security people weren't looking, because they have these people with whistles and they'll blow if you're doing something wrong right there. When they weren't looking, I made sure they weren't looking. I took my uh, driver's license and I tried to put one in one of the cracks between the rocks and it, it just 
it just hit a dead end. You can't even fit a driver's license, a credit card. You pretty much couldn't fit a human hair in between these rocks. How? And there's no mortar. These things, it's, it's just insane. You have to go there to appreciate it even more so. But um, this place is impossible for humans to put together. It really is. I mean, it's just, this is way beyond the ability of anyone on planet Earth. An early Spaniard chronicled his findings here in writings and called, um, yeah, the, his writings were called the Royal Commentaries of the Incas. And he said that an Incan king tried to replicate the works and had 20,000 men try to move an immense boulder up hills just like the originals, and it fell, squishing 3,000 men, killed them on the spot, just like ants. And the Incas. They tried to add on, on top of it on the top bars. Now, if you look at this photo with the uh, the the um, doorway, you'll see some of the smaller stones up there. Well, yeah, those are more manageable. Yeah, that's the later works of the Inca people. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's just uh, when they tried to replicate it. But, you know, they, they tried, but they never could. They never could replicate this. And... Many sites around the world, you'll see this again, a repeating thing. But So what do the Incas say? The Incas, again, say it was the Viracocha. They, they did it, okay? Just like the Nazca lines. So what do mainstream archaeologists say? They say the Incas used ropes and pulled them up from two miles away and had a complex ramp system to put them into place. Well, come on. If 20,000 men couldn't do it, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I know what they had. They had a gantry crane. That's what they had. I know. Of course. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Yeah, guys. You know, ropes. Look at those rocks again. Just go back a couple slides and take a look and tell me if you could get, you know, this is one picture that's kind of got a shadow on it. If you look at the center rock, it almost looks like the door to a vault. That rock is so huge. I came up to about a quarter of that, that height. And then there's rocks stacked above that. Tell me how ropes and ramps did that. Tell me, really. Yeah, that's insane. So, yeah, um, what do ancient aliens say? They said it was impossible for men to do this. Sure. I agree. Humans could not do this. I mean, what I say is how could they? This work is so precise. It's so impossible why do it anyway? What, what purpose to go through that much work to put that together? I mean, we get so tricked today because modern masonry, you see all, all the time that rocks and bricks fit together. And, you know, you go, we just, we're just immune to seeing that. But that's much smaller things and with mortar. These had no mortar. And the things that science tries to prove, just so it can be right, the absurd things some of these archaeologists say, just just say that stuff so they can feel safe on the ground and not venture off on the possibility of other lives could have done something like this. I mean, what most of the time these people do is they argue out of fear so they don't have to see a bigger picture and consider larger possibilities, and that's really it. That's true. So, again, I'm, I'm just, you know, just I'm saying I'm not exactly, you know, in line with the ancient aliens people, but seriously, come on. 
Well, let's move on along to the next site here, and um, in the same part of Peru is Machu Picchu. And this is the most famous thing to see in Machu Picchu. So if you turn the slide, you'll see the photo of Machu Picchu. Um, I did the trek into Machu Picchu for five days, and the journey had lots of amazing sights along the way. So it is, it's a spectacular thing. I recommend to anyone that can do it, do it. And I'm not rich by any means, but the reason I've been able to travel my life so much is because I don't spend my money on dumb things. I don't spend my money on cable TV, going out and getting drunk. I don't spend my money on on, on gamble. I don't I don't do the things that most people do. So that money, and I and I try to conserve with my food and make my own meals. And you know, you can too if you set your sights on traveling. You can too. It's just a lot of people. They can't even fathom it because they foolishly throw their money away on on going out to fancy restaurants and going out to things. I mean, sure, enjoy your life, but it, I think if you want to travel and see the sights on planet Earth, those are memories unforgettable. So, so anyway, and this this Machu Picchu journey was amazing. Um, this mountain, Machu Picchu Mountain, which the site is in is about 7,000 foot elevation and is massive when you're up there looking down at the Urubamba River which carves and surrounds this mountain below but when you when you do the hike the trek to Machu Picchu you get way high up in the Himalayas about 14,000 feet or 4,200 meters for those of you in the metric and uh, you can look down at this mountain from the Inca Trail and it's a tiny little speck down there with a little flag and you're like that's it no way so you know, the, the, the mountains surrounding Machu Picchu are much larger, but still 7,000 feet is high enough up. But the Andes are, you know, huge. Second, I believe the second highest mountain range in the world, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, but imagine that the work it took to drag stones up this mountain, quarry them, and build this temple in the middle of nowhere. Um, you can turn the, the next image, and you can see some of these stones have the same stonework as Sacsayhuaman. And you can see this, these huge stones that were put together with no mortar and they're fitted like a jigsaw puzzle. Some of these weigh 200 tons, and the, the, uh, the towns of two of, to three of the biggest bulldozers together, 200 tons. This place wasn't ever found by the Spanish, so it was actually discovered by Hiram Bingham in 1911 that, that discovered um, this, this site. Uh, by words of a local. So it had it, been hidden out of sight, and it is. It's very out of sight, and in somewhere you would never go. So it, it remains hidden for a long time. The tour guide that I had, he, he said that the royalty always had walls that were larger stones that had that jigsaw puzzle look. And you could tell which parts were possibly older and made... Um, similar to the walls of Sacsayhuaman, you know, these are the older creations. The, and so Machu Picchu was built for many reasons. It was, and you can turn to the next slide. Um, it, but I, th I think its primary purpose, it was to track the solar and, and lunar positions. So what you're looking at in this next slide with the, with the little window up there, and look at the stone beneath it too. That's massive, and it's on these other stones. I mean, come on. Now, so that window up there, that is, this is called the Temple of the Sun. And the Sun Gate 
is a crack in the mountains. On one side of the larger mountains that surround Machu Picchu, and um, on that particular, in that particular crack shines the light. So what you're looking at now is the, the winter solstice window. So through another crack in the mountain, the light shines on, just happens to be through that crack on winter solstice into that window onto a stone in there telling you that that's the shortest day of year. Now, on the other side, if you flip it again, you'll see the, the window for the summer solstice, which comes through the sun gate. The sun shines through the sun gate into that window onto the same stone, tracking the sun. So um, that's amazing when you think about it. That's, I mean, this place is magical, just magical that nature itself provided, just that the sun goes exactly in those two cracks on the solstices. Possibly it had help, I don't know, but yeah. Um, but also, you will see if you keep going, uh, one more slide, you'll see some more stonework. The reflecting pools. And these reflecting pools were used for several reasons, but for the equinoxes, the one on the left is the spring equinox, and the one on the right is the autumn equinox, the fall equinox. So um, that's where the sun exactly shines on those pools. And then at night, it also for tracking the stars. Yeah. Um, the tour guide I had said that the Urubamba River below was a reflection of the Milky Way galaxy. Even some of the constellations are identifiable in the river through, down below that coincide where the constellations are in the sky. So this is just a magical place beyond uh, human work here. This is actually a reflection of the Milky Way galaxy. Pretty trippy, I know. And, um, of course, again, those two notches and the season changes. But, and, then, and then you have, um, in, in the, the original Machu Picchu photo, if you went back to the original, but, you, you know, this is this, the signature photo, the mountain behind itself in the background, uh, the typical shot is called Kuana Picchu, which is loaded with more sites and heavy rock formations that were somehow dragged up there. I never made it up there. You have to have a special permit. Um, but there is, the, the, uh, it is so steep that it's like, I mean, it's scary kind of steep, you know, these little steps. And these haven't been brought up there, these giant stones. Again, this on top of there was the Temple of the Moon on Juana Pichu. There, so um, there, there is a part that is on, on Machu Picchu that is uncovered. It's on the lower hillside, and UNESCO has, hasn't let that be explored. And so I was thinking while I was there, like, well, what's there then if, if that hasn't been explored? Uh, and a lot of the lower things on Machu Picchu are just terraces that were used for growing food, but you just got to wonder, you know, what, what was there? I didn't, I didn't put that in my photos, uh, but uh, there's not much to see. It's just covered in bushes. So, I mean, uh, you know, why would a culture need to know so much about the years and the stars? And how did they become so knowledgeable to begin with? Everything about Machu Picchu is astronomically aligned. Advanced knowledge built this place. The Incas say, what they say is they don't seem to have an answer. A lot, a lot of 
say it's actually not the lost city of the Incas, believe it or not. That's still yet to be found. Now, what mainstream archaeologists say, it was constructed by the order of the Incan Empire in the 15th century, and there, there are so many ancient Inca sites built on the hillside that it is not impossible, and I agree that it's not impossible for that part to have been done, for them to build at least some of this. But, um, yeah, uh, anyway, so the bigger stones, though, I, I would have to say, I would believe, would have been built earlier by a separate culture. Maybe this Viracocha. What are we doing for time here? Okay, we're okay. Well, I'm just going to keep going, I guess. Um, we have just a little bit more to go. Why don't I play a little bit of music here uh, so I can take a quick water break, and I'll be right back. This is your education eradication reshaper. This is your separation from the rest of the matrix. This is your education eradication. We're rearranging indoctrination. Replace it. Get back into nature. This is your education eradication reshaper. This is your separation from the rest of the matrix. This is your education eradication. We're rearranging indoctrination. Replace it. Get back into nature. This is your separation from lies and deceptionism. This is your step away from the process of oppression prison. This is your education eradication reshaper. This is your separation from the rest of the matrix. This is your separation from lies and deceptionism. This is your step away from the fossils oppression prison. This is the language of wake through the ages, rejecting the takeover, protecting the sacred domain that we came from. This is your education eradication reshaper. This is your separation from the rest of the matrix. This is your education eradication. We're rearranging indoctrination, replacing get back into nature. This is your separation from lies and deceptionism. This is your step away from the fossils oppression prison. This is your step away from the five-sense oppression prison. This is Chanted Down Radio. And here we are chanting down also mainstream archaeologists who suggest that all these places were just the work of humans and the work of, of people that are, are were doing things but ropes and pulleys. It's just absurd. So we're going to move on to the next slide here. And... Uh, my computer is working slow here, but you can certainly go, uh, which is Puma Punko. And this is in Bolivia, and I didn't make it over here. Um, I just, you know, didn't have the time and money. But, you know, it, it would be nice have, to have gone there. But not far, actually, from Machu Picchu is, but across the Andes in Bolivia. And it is part of the Tiwanaku site near Lake Titicaca. So um, when you go... After the Machu Picchu slides, you will see these giant, um, so many precision cut stones, and some have these H, H, letter H patterns, and some have holes and small drill holes. These are 100 ton stones. These are just insanely huge. Here you can see they've been raised on platforms. And um, yeah, so just uh, an incredible place. The um, one of the things, if you go to the next slide, well, now my slides are not on here. Oh my! Well, you know what? Not all of them loaded for some reason. Damn it, Blog Talk Radio, you guys suck. <laughs> well, okay, and it wasn't me. I loaded all these in here. I knew something wouldn't work right. 
Okay, so you're going to have to, from here on out, if you're following with the slides, just going to have to go Google these images up, unfortunately. Um, but I've shown at least what I could. And uh, anyway, uh, there's an area of the Tiwanaku site called Kala Sasaya, which has huge monoliths at 10 tons. And out of them, 10 tons each, some of them were fish creatures that were carved. Another area in there, too, is the Akapana Pyramid, a place unknown of its purpose. You know, why pyramids all over the world? And I believe there's a purpose, an energetic purpose, that we don't fully understand about pyramids. Again, these sites, all of across the Earth, I believe, are also vortex points. These are points in which the energy was used through with the pyramids and stuff that we don't really know yet, you know? And maybe some people know more than others on Earth. I don't know that much either. I'll be honest and admit that. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, another, another place is the Gateway to the Sun. If you uh, Google that image up, that Tiwanaku, you, you know, it's thought to be a, a complex calendar carved into stone. And there's actually, this is the, one of the places where there's a statue of the Viracocha. And you, it has a beard, and I couldn't find it on the statue when I looked at the images, but supposedly a long flowing robe. And um, what's interesting, again, is if you look at these Viracocha images, these are not traits of native peoples. These are more like Europeans. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the native peoples of Peru first of all, had dark hair, but also they they had, um, they did, couldn't grow really facial hair, yeah? Um, that's just, so that's a very foreign thing to the people here. Uh, this is probably the most, at Pumapunko especially, the most precise ancient architecture in possibly the world. To be able to duplicate these things like a machine, each one pretty much the same, and, and these drill holes. Uh, also found there, there was a ceramic bowl that has uh, cuneiform and proto-Sumerian uh, hieroglyphic written on it. So here we have a similar, another similar trait along with the fish people, along with the, the um, fish guard people that they do have in Sumeria. So, I mean, it is quite a, a dovetail similarity to the Anunnaki story, and, uh, you know, I believe they're definitely related, definitely. You can't ignore that at all. So, yeah, I wish I had these slides working, but we'll go with what we got here. In Anyway, if you want to Google up this image, um, the doorway that dead ends at a solid rock called the Amuru Maru. It's spelled A-M-A-R-U-M-E-R-U. And this is the gateway to the gods. It's also on Lake Titicaca. And the, the natives of the region had a legend that spoke of the uh, gateway to the land of the gods. And in that legend, it is said that in the times long past, great heroes had gone to join their gods and passed through the gate for a glorious new life of immortality. And on rare occasions, those men returned for a short time with their gods to inspect all the lands in the kingdom through the gate. So that's again, Amaru Meru. And that is, or Meru, Amaru Meru. And that is uh, something you can Google up. I mean, it's just a doorway that ends in a rock. It's just, why? Why build that, you know? 
There's so many mysteries here. And so with, with this whole site, Tiwanaku, Pumapunko, the natives say that lived there, everything appeared suddenly in the course of a single night. Now, we have that similarity here in Hawaii. The Minihuni, the little people, were supposedly famous for building these rock structures overnight. And so, you know, these legends dovetail across the world. There was some magical forces that seriously did some things here that we cannot explain. Mainstream archaeologists, what they say about this site, that it was built using copper tools, copper saws, hammers, and chisels. Okay. Yeah, well, that's um, that's pretty uh, that's that's pretty right on, guys. But then ancient aliens say it was built by aliens, without a doubt, and that this one points to the evidence the most that that um, you know that, that that ancient that aliens built this. That, and so this is where you know I think that they they are off. Um, it has been proven that they were wrong here. That stretched kind of the story. They say that it's granite, these rocks, but when it was really red sandstone, which is a lot easier to carve than granite. Not saying that it's easy, though, and not saying that these things could have been necessarily done by humans. What I say is there was so much precision here, so much intricate work. Nobody could even do this today with these copper tools. Let's see these archaeologists try to do this. You know, they're going to come up short. And, and... Also, just so much connection around the world with monoliths, a pyramid, bearded character, fish character. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So, so much astronomical knowledge here that was built for a purpose that is beyond our world. We don't know, otherworldly. So, um, move along here to uh, the next area of the world, up north in Central America, Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan is the area of the Towering Pyramid of the Sun, a man-made sacred mountain whose original name and function is unknown. Now, the base is nearly equal in size to that of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And one of the most interesting concerns uh, is the massive one-foot-thick sheet of granulated mica. The mica had long ago been transported from a mine thousands of miles away in South America. How had the great quantity of mica been brought from such a distance and equally important? For what purpose had the pyramid been covered with the rare stone? Why mica? And um, certain structures and alignments within the city, similar, and it's similar to um, the similar alignments of Tiwanaku and over in Lebanon, Baalbek, and the Great Pyramid of Egypt. Well, this is, again, um, these are vortex points. These are points of energy. I have a friend who was down there, and um, he took LSD with some, another friend. He was on one of the more hidden pyramids in the jungle. And what happened to him is, he clenched up into a ball and could not move. He had to be rescued. Uh, he almost died. And, you know, I'm no, I know that, you know, there can be some bad LSD. Sure, there can be some um, some uh, bad chemicals. You're trusting an unknown chemist when you take things like that. But, um, no, this energy clenched him up so tight 
and uh, it uh, was a, a real shocking thing in his life. And to be to have that happen to somebody in in, in a, such a powerful place, and he said the power was just overtaking him in this spot. So yeah, the placement of these structures mattered, and and there there is so much to talk about here. I mean, from the temple to of the plume serpent on another part of Central America, uh, the, the, which is Kulkupin or uh, Quetzalcoatl, and and I mentioned that on another episode. And to the interesting, really the the real interesting uh, culture here in the Central American area is the mother of all these cultures is the Olmecs. The, the Olmecs had sculptures of African-like featured faces to, uh, and again a bearded character with a long nose, straight hair, and flowing robes. So somehow, you know, cultures had come from possibly multiple areas of Earth to this particular important spot. And, I mean, just there's so much to cover, and I just, you know, could spend hours, days just talking about this stuff and stuff that I don't even know about. But the advanced knowledge of the Mayans, and the knowledge of the stars and the planets. I mean, you know, to know this stuff. And then also the, the human sacrifice, um, which is, I think, a trait of these, um, these uh, nefarious visitors, yeah? And then there's other sites. You, you can go on and on in Central America, the Pyramids of Tikal, Chichen Itza, Uxmal, uh, Palenque, and... Aztec pyramids, so many sites, but all built for the quote-unquote gods, and that's what the natives say. Mainstream archaeologists, they say that the Olmecs, Toltecs, Mayans, Aztecs all built these things, that the Aztecs would build their houses similar to mountains. They did this because they believed the mountains protected the rain from coming in and hitting their buildings. The great city Tenochtitlan, not saying that right, but uh, is a great example of Aztec architecture. So that's what they say. Ancient aliens say, more than likely built for the alien gods, built for the return of some of them. All right, well, I don't know. But I believe that humans could have constructed these things. They're, they're less um, impressive as far as huge stones fit together, such as Soxe Huaman, but um, I believe that something must have happened to where these cultures, such as the Mayans, felt as though they needed to do mass human sacrifices on these amazing structures. And great measurements of the stars and even prophecies and predictions, so much knowledge. How did they get all of this knowledge? Yeah, so um, look at those. Uh, also, uh, something that I would have had in the slides, and now you have to look it up, and it sucks, but... Um, yeah, uh, they found supposed plaques they found of, in the Mayan ruins, and they're being held by the Mexican government. I can't find enough, enough about these, but I, the images you could go online and um, try to search for them. And it, it, it shows a tail. I mean, it obviously looks like an alien ship, and I wonder if they're even real, to be honest. I don't know. But um, I'll try to put some imagery up when I show possibly that the the rest of the slides will come through i don't know you know okay so anyway um yeah so this is just 
from there's just so much to to uh, uh, too much to go on on about in this subject about the the uh, Central American sites and there's so much to say but yeah it, anyway uh, why, why go through so much work to build all these temples it, it seems only logical that there were all they're all built to connect to something unworldly something beyond and all of them across the world all these sites with some I'll continue to go we'll go, go over on the next show are are uh, astronomically aligned and connected to they're connected to each other in some ways too sometimes one more final site is and you want to um, maybe Google this up to see what I'm talking about is the Blythe Intaglios, the Blythe Intaglios. And this is in um, a group of gigantic figures found on the ground near Blythe, California, in the Colorado Desert. So this is in America. The largest human figure is 171 feet long, while the smallest is 95 feet long. So these are, these are humanoid figures. There's a fish, a deer... And it's very similar to the Nazca lines in that way. And these, um, these, there's no uh, agreement on who made them and why. Uh, and I didn't even really know about them until the other day when I was doing some research. And I was like, oh, what is this? So it's the Blythe in, in, to, in Taglios. So, yeah, if you want to check that out, um, the, the imagery would have been on the slideshow. And, and a just check the, the show site in the future, and maybe I'll be able to fix the problem that happened with the rest of my slides. You know, I've, I've never heard of anyone really talk about them, but again, like the Nazca lines, you can only see them from above, and weren't these weren't even discovered until the 1930s. So I didn't really, you know, nobody else really talks about them, so all I know is that the, the figures look stereotypical extraterrestrial with this... this uh, humanoid figure, long arms and skinny body. I mean, and who else would they be for? I mean, nobody up to that point in time on Earth was able to view them till much later when jet travel came about. And so, uh, you know, it's just, uh, that's a, it's just, it's got to be for some somebody coming down and seeing that from above. That's all there is to it. I mean, what else is there? And you can try to search for all the explanations you want. But the truth is, who's going to see it unless you have an observation point? And there's no observation point, again, in this part of the Colorado desert. So, okay, those are all the sites I want to cover on this episode. I'm getting tired. But next episode, I'll finish up with the trip around the world's megalithic sites. We're going to cover the Eastern Hemisphere. You know, so, I mean, so many amazing things have happened in this world that defy how we think things work and again going back to my rant earlier i mean today's world that's stuck in the daily grind it doesn't act like anything interesting ever happened on earth it ignores that life has gone way beyond this paradigm and that they that we've um that all that we've constructed is just this that's it we don't think about what life is like beyond so if you only focus on the day-to-day -day grind, then you're you're not experiencing life, and uh, life has been many things on this planet, and so 
you know, huge stone structures have been put into place with extreme knowledge, a knowledge, the knowledge that is just beyond. It's almost like these days, now are the dark ages. I mean, the moment Earth forgot about miracles, life beyond this planet, a creator, nature, and only decided to make their purpose making money. That's, that's the dark ages, if you ask me. And, I mean, I believe that beings have visited us and are still around, but are being hidden from our view by our leaders and our, the control system. So, you know, we stay in the daily grind modality. They obviously were wanted there. We were, that's where we're wanted, is in that modality. And, you know, the leaders uh, that are either working for or hiding these or hiding this knowledge and more likely working for, or, well, you know, we'll find out, I, I believe. I believe that they will release the truth on us, but on, in the wrong way. They will, they will tell us the wrong truth. That's what I believe. So I would never, never, ever trust, even if they came out with that there is intelligent life on planets that are beyond planet Earth. You know, but yeah, this is my last episode on this particular part of this series of shows, um, talking about the ancient past with this series, and we're going to get into the modern world and what's going on. So, uh, last show will be the uh, uh, that the eastern hemisphere of megalithic sites, and then we'll get into you know the rest of things. And I'm thinking that Channel Down Radio is way overdue for some guests. So it's time to get some on again soon, and we're going to still do this series of shows and others that I focus on. So uh, expect a little jumping around here and there because um, to put all this stuff together is, is exhausting. Um, and um, sometimes I just want to do a, a kind of more freer episode, such as episode 77, the last one. And sometimes I want to dig right into this information and other series of shows that I still want to keep warm on this show, you know, because we'll go back to some other topics that still I'll, you know, get guests for when I can. And I think, you know, for Channel Down Radio, it is harder to get guests um, because I'm out here in Hawaii and the time zone is kind of off compared to for a lot of people. But you know what? We'll, we'll work on that. And uh, then next, next series that I think I'm going to break out pretty soon is Parenting and the New World Order. I, I want to get into that. Uh, it's a series of shows that I'd like to uh, also kind of get into. And I know all this jumping around is going to get confusing eventually, so that's why um, in my time I will construct a website and these series of shows will be easier to access and know what episode is what. It will be more of a map of this show and the many series that I go over. So yeah, that's that's uh, the next part of Shannon Down Radio. But I, I'm, you know, still working on a whole lot of things in my spare time. Thank you all for holding on. If you like to um, email me, you're always free to write me at stayrootsmusic@gmail.com. At stayrootsmusic@gmail.com, and uh, then. Also, if you want to uh, purchase an album, help support the show, uh, again, you can um, go to PayPal and bill it to, uh, uh, or pay PayPal at peoplebeyondthis at gmail.com. And uh, I'll 
you know, to support the show, buy an album. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy all the, the letters I get here and there from the few of you out here who really who really enjoy the show. And, and I appreciate the support and much love to all of you. And uh, keep on chanting down. Don't forget to chant down and, and uh, don't get caught up in the world too much. And be a warrior, not a worrier. And I think that's all I have to say. For today, I'm pretty tired, but I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, show and episode. And again, if you want to follow it along with this particular episode, I'm going to try to repair the rest of the slides so it actually goes through and you can see all the photos. All right. Until we meet again, which is hopefully in two weeks, I try to do the show every Monday at 12 o'clock Hawaiian time. Yeah, well, you, here I am on Thursday almost 9 o'clock p.m. Hawaiian time. So, you know, I, I do it when I can, but you can always follow the show on Blog Talk Radio. You know, you can email me um, and all of that stuff. So keep on chatting down. Much love. Are you awake now?